This is Mary Celeste Bell. Welcome to the Blackberry Podcast, where we'll dive into stories and knowledge of the incredible people that are part of the Blackberry story. You'll hear from longtime friends, amazing visiting personalities, and our own inspired team members. Dr. Henry Cloud is an acclaimed leadership guide and best-selling self-help author. Dr. Cloud sat down with BlackBerry proprietor Mary Celeste Bell to discuss setting healthy boundaries, how to be peacemakers and caring leaders through difficult times, and how to always keep seeking good and positivity in the world. Welcome to a very exciting episode of the BlackBerry Podcast. I am Mary Celeste Bell, BlackBerry Farm and BlackBerry Mountains proprietor, and I'm so thrilled to be sitting across from my dear friend, Dr. Henry Cloud. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, it is. I, I mean, yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to be, but just to be at BlackBerry. I mean, does it get any better? Really, does it get? It's unbelievable. So it's always good to be here. Well, I think we've all spent a lot of time doing a lot of things virtually in the past six to nine months. I can have lost track now. I guess we're on month seven or eight. But um, but it is really so great to just see your face in person and get to be with you. And just for everyone's sake, just so you know, we are six feet apart. We're following all of our precautions. So, um, so I've really been excited for you to be here. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what I wanted to ask you and what I just felt like our listeners would appreciate. You're an expert on the topic, and it's so important. Unfortunately, I'm terrible at it. A lot of us struggle with saying yes too often. Warren Buffett said successful people say no to almost everything. Thank you for saying yes to being here today. It means so much to me. Tell us, Henry, how do we establish healthy boundaries with other people? Well, it it sounds a little little hackneyed, right? You hear it all the time, but but the word prioritize, you know, if you think of that word, where does it come from? It comes from the word prior, you know, first. What comes first? And I think what successful people do in in their their personal lives as well as their professional lives, like like Buffett was referring to, they've really gotten clear on what has to come first, what gets gets first in line to get their time and energy and resources, and they've really thought about this. You know, one one of the things we do um, at the end of every year, Tori and I sit down and and we look at the calendar for the next year. And we put in, block out the calendar with the things that are most important, you know, the, the family things that we that come first. Same thing with my team. Because if you don't, if you haven't set the priorities of what's going to get a yes, then everything gets a yes. And a lot of things don't end up with any time or energy left over that are the most important. And, and so that's kind of the structural part of this. But then you get to the emotional part. And the tough thing about about setting boundaries is, you know, if you're a caring and loving person, you 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 don't want to hurt people, you don't want to frustrate people, you kind of want to, you know, make everybody happy, and that's the harder part for a lot of people. You know, people that really care about other people and care about their relationships. It's 
it's a lot of times hard for them to say no. But boundaries involve saying no. It's just a, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I feel like I've heard you say before that saying yes is really saying no to other things. Absolutely. I mean, we just had breakfast, right? When I said, I'm not going to show my dietary weaknesses here, but when I said yes to A, B, and C, I was also saying no to what I didn't order, right? And so what we don't realize is that every time you say yes to something, you have said no to something that's not going to have that time and energy. Now, you start thinking about, um, you know, certain things you agree to do and this, that, and the other. That time and energy is unavailable now for maybe some things that are much more important in your relationships and also in your work. I mean, maybe we should stop right here. <laughs> we could. You nailed it. <laughs> we could. You know, it's, 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 um, I learned a long time ago don't count your critics, weigh them. Because it, you've always got to ask, you know, what, if somebody's criticizing me or they're mad at me, all right, I need to listen to that. Because there may be, you know, there may be some some truth in that that I need to I need to learn from. But I've also got to ask, who is this and why they're doing it? Because if if the if the if the control freaks and the narcissistic, you know, like everything's about them and they're entitled and all of that stuff, and you're supposed to do whatever they want all the time, or they're going to be upset. If they're mad at me, then that's probably a good sign. That, you know, I'm in control of my life and don't do everything somebody wants. If the loving and honest and people that are on my side, if, if I'm getting feedback from them, I do need to listen to them. So it's not we're not talking about building a wall around yourself where you're insensitive, but we're talking about being intentional and setting priorities and continuing to be a loving, caring person. But the whole thing comes down to who's in charge of your life. Are you? And what's important that you've decided is important are are the whims of everybody else. I think that is just such a great point. I mean, I love the love and limits. Love that. But I also love that you just are reminding us to think about who we're listening to. You know, what voices are are really the loudest in our lives? And That's right. are we listening to ourselves? Are we letting other people you know, invade in and influence us and take over. It's and and sometimes Mary Celeste, and this is hard for a lot of people to wake up to, but they really have got to wake up to it. Sometimes those voices they're listening to are ghosts, because you can be you can be in a circumstance or a relationship, and and you need to say no, or you need to set limits, or say that's not okay. I'm not going to allow that anymore. And then they'll be overcome by this like internal feeling of guilt or badness or this, that, and the other. And that's really a, that's a message running in their head, maybe even from, from childhood. You know, they, they might have grown up when their head was getting wired, because that's what happens. The software gets written in our heads. They might have, have, have been in a family or significant formative relationships 
where if they didn't do what somebody wanted, maybe they had a, you know, a martyred parent. Well, yeah, I can see how much you care about me or, you know, I guess I'm not very important or, you know, maybe the other side, direct anger where, where the software in their head says, if somebody's upset with you, you're bad. And the emotional reality kicks in like that. And sometimes there's just got to be some internal work done where I always tell people, you know, all those people living in your head, I hope they're paying rent because they sure they sure have taken over the building. Are you charging them? <laughs> and, then, and then they say, no, I'm not getting paid for this. Well, you better evict some people because they're behind on their payments. And sometimes, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a psychologist, right? So I'm going to sound like a shrink here, but I work with CEOs mostly and real high performers. And, and a lot of a lot of upping your performance is internal work where you've got to got to get back in charge of these voices in your head. Like I said, I'm not great at setting boundaries, but I do know that as a parent, it's so hard, but it does feel better mm. when I know I'm setting a boundary. And even though my child might be just so upset with me and not understanding a few hours later or a day or whatever, it it is rewarding mm. as a parent. And I know that I've done the right mm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to to always do that. Well, it, it is hard, and for a lot of different reasons in different people's lives. But you just said something really important. You said, you know, a few hours later or the next day or it might be a while. That That being able to tolerate that gap that can be hanging up the phone with a friend or an employee. It can be with a kid watching them storm off and go to their room and waiting a while. But that gap is actually, that's, that's the, that's the oven that the cake is baking in. And so when you set a limit, especially with a child or, or an employee or anybody else, when you set a limit, that's got to be metabolized inside of them. And so you got to leave, leave leave that pot of soup on the stove for a little bit and give it time for them to metabolize it. And then they're going to go through their mini little grief cycle and they're going to get mad. And they're going to be in denial. And they're going to protest. And, you know, it's just like a grief cycle. And they're going to, you know, bargain. And they're going to protest. And then they're going to get really bummed. And then they're going to accept it. And it's going to be okay if they're a good person. If you don't, there's a, one of my favorite, uh, Proverbs it's in, uh, Proverbs. Uh, I want to say 19, it's 1919. That's what it, it says. This It says, do not rescue an angry man, lest you have to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, so good. Pull the tooth once. <laughs> don't, don't keep doing it. And it's, um, it's it's so important. You have said something so important about tolerating that gap when they're mad at you. You know, I love to help people. And often I have people in my life asking my advice or wanting me to help them, which I love doing. And I find it so fulfilling. But there are certain people where it's a repeated behavior. You know, you've <laughs> advised them. You've given them a different suggestion, you know, and I think as women and mothers, 
we it comes naturally to say, well, this worked with my children or this is how I do dinner. You know, you know, you kind of like we want to share tips and tricks because mm-hmm. we're all in the same boat pretty much. But it's. I'm realizing that me continuing to kind of come to the rescue in my way yeah. is really I'm not letting them have that gap. You're so right. And when you when you understand it's actually harmful because you're not allowing them to develop what they need to develop, which is their own competency. And I mean, this is built into the entire created order of everything, everything, everything in life. If 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 you find a little little egg, you know, in the mother's nest, and that that little chick or that little robin or whatever it is is ready to come out, and and you break the egg so it can come out and it's ready, it will die because the having to peck its way out develops a strength in the musculature and the neurology to have them survive on the outside world. And and to to prevent any muscle from growing by picking it up for them is to cripple somebody. I mean, I just had a knee replacement and that next morning that that surgical nurse drops in and says, okay, you're getting out of bed. And I said, yeah, you, you and what army are getting me out of this bed? I can't move this thing at all. But they make you use it. And it was really, really interesting because it was so frozen in pain, if anybody's ever had it, and so stiff and all this. And, and every eighth of an inch is the most painful reclaiming of territory. But then every day I'd go through the, the physical therapy, and the next day it was like, whoa. I picked up movement. I picked up range. I picked up. And when you're doing everything for somebody, you are destroying them. They've got to build that competency on their own. And sometimes it feels mean, but you're helping them. You're really helping them to, um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for, to, to develop competency. You know, I hear a lot of times people come to me, especially especially either themselves or their kids, say, "Well, I need more self confidence. How can I get self confidence?" And we have we have developed a psychology over the last however many years that you can boost someone's self esteem by telling them how special they are and you're wonderful. And there is not a bigger load of crap that's been sold. I'm not kidding, and there's research to to prove this. I, I say, well, you want to be con- why do you want to be confident? So then I'll be able to do A, B, or C. I go, let me tell you how confidence is built. Go learn to do A, B, or C, and then you'll know you can do it, and you'll be confident. Okay, <laughs> it's gonna, you know, what if what if you said to a to a 14 month old. You're the best walker in the world. You're getting, and and they're scared. And they, no, you let them walk, and they fall down. And then by the time they're two, they're not needing confidence to walk anymore. They've learned how to walk. Now, now back to your discussion with the mothers, and it, it's about with employees or anybody else. P- 
people think to say yes to someone means you got to give them the time and energy, you got to do it for them, you got to this, that, and the other. Sometimes it helps people to figure out, well, I can say yes in another way. I can say, well, you know what? I would, I'd love to help you with that. I don't think I can help you any more than I have, but here's the name of a good counselor, I think. I think I've gone as far as I can go. Here's the name of, or here's the name of a good book that I read and learned this, or here's a good podcast, or you know, I heard about this thing called Boundaries Type Made. <laughs> Subscribe to that. There's a lot of courses on there. But you can say yes. I had a friend one time that was involved in a project with Bill Gates, and and it was a, a philanthropic thing. And so he, <laughs> he calls him and asks him um, you know, if he can help out. He said, I'll be glad to help out as long as it doesn't involve any meetings or phone calls. But I'll be glad to help. Well, and think of that. There's a lot of different ways to help people. A lot of different ways to help people. It doesn't mean it's got to take your time, energy, or writing a check. That is, I mean, once again, you nailed it. I mean, we we really do have to be able to say, this is the book. This is the podcast. And because really, there's only so much we can do for someone anyway. We're not going to have the conversation for them. We're not going to, you know, be living in their body, in their house. They have to figure out and take all the tools and, you know, absorb it and come up with their own way. And then it will be successful for them. And I think that's one of the... Nobody could do my rehab for me. Right. Yeah. And no one, you know... I think rehab. That some was people, knee rehab, right? By the way. Knee, I, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, some people might do great doing it three times a day at the same time of day every time, or some people might think, "Okay, I'm going to do it when I'm sitting waiting on something. I'm going to do it twice in the morning, once in the afternoon." You just have to find your own way. The toddler. And I'm sorry I refer so much back to kids, but, you know, when you have five kids, well, your see, life pretty much revolves CEOs around. CEOs have a lot of kids sitting around that executive team table, too. Yes. I mean, the principles are the same a lot of times. 100%. And thank goodness I got to practice a lot of things on my own family. But when I when you're talking about the child walking, one of the things my late husband, Sam, was so good at, among so many others, was he was like, don't come to the rescue immediately. And and I remember, you know, when your child falls or we quickly, um, you know, your gut reaction is you want to scoop them up. But if you just kind of stand back a little bit and you're like, oh, you're okay. Oh, no. You know, you scraped your knee. I'm so glad you got up. Let's keep running or whatever. And and thank goodness I had him with me teaching our children this because I think it's a really important right. lesson that another person is not going to save you. And and figuring out how to, whether it's a scraped knee or, you know, a breakup or, you know, a terrible grade on a test or, you know, your boss gives you some negative feedback or whatever. I mean, y- you have to absorb it and figure out how to take the next step. That's right. And, and you know, what you just said about the, um, you know, when the kids would fall down or whatever, what Sam would do, um, 
neurologically and psychologically. You know, pain, uh, uh, pain tolerance. Are, 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 and I'm not talking about it, it's all in your head. I'm talking about the literal, the literal sensation of pain. In part, is a is a psychological construct that is is laid down sometimes early in life. And and I'll give you an example. If you've ever noticed a little bitty kid, when they fall down, many times the immediate thing, what do they do? They look up at mommy or daddy. They look at you, and the little face is asking, "Am I okay?" Or and if the parent goes, "You're fine. Get up," then they get up and play. Or the parent goes, oh, no, no. And then the kid starts crying. Was, well, what they're learning is is what hurts, you know, what's going to kill me and what isn't, right? And if 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 doing my stinking homework by myself is going to kill me so much that mom or dad's got to come in and do it for me, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be crippled for life. I, I, I'll tell you, I'm going to try to make this story quick, um, but it's a great example of this. When I, when I went to college... Um, first semester, I meet this girl, and she was awesome. And you know, we started dating. This guy, it gets really serious, and and um, and you know, everything was great. Dated her through through my freshman year. Now, now, when I first started dating her, no, no one told me. I went to school in Texas. I went to SMU, and I was from Mississippi. And I'm just this little redneck kid, right? And I go, nobody told me she was the governor's daughter when I first started dating her. So then, all of a sudden, I find myself in this, you know thing so that following summer i go down to visit her and the family were all going to go away for a week and and i'm i'm picking her up at the governor's mansion and i pick her up and she says she want to take her we she wanted us to take her car because it could take more stuff and anyway so i'll drive i pull out of the governor's mansion i do an illegal u-turn and i get hit on head by head on by a, a dump truck in front of the governor's mansion, her car, the whole thing goes up in flames, and we're okay, but I have just wrecked the governor's car, going to meet him for the first time, the father of my girlfriend, I'm 18 years old, I'm in another state, TV, helicopters, the whole bit, you know. And so I, I am freaked out. I'm 18 years old. I call my dad in Mississippi. I said, I said, Daddy, I... I I, I just had a wreck. He said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. He said, is she okay? And I said, yeah, she's fine. But, Daddy, I totaled the car. He goes, you totaled your car? And I said, no, not my car. I totaled <laughs> her car. He goes, you totaled? He, I said, yeah. What do I do? I said, do I call our, is it my insurance? Is it hers? I was driving, but it's her. Do I call Mr. Wilkinson? What, what do I? He said, son, calm down for a second. He said, let me get the facts straight. He said, you're okay? I said, yeah, she's okay. Yeah, she's. He said, now you're going, to, you're going to meet the man for the first time, and you got to extend your hand and say, hi, I'm the boyfriend. I just totaled your car. I said, yeah, who do I call? What do I do? And then he says this. He says, son, if you are old enough to get yourself in a mess like this, you're old enough to get yourself out of it, but call me and tell me how you did it. And he hung up the phone left me there on the street with the car in flames. Figure it out, kid. Figure it out. And I'm telling you, I couldn't write any book with a better <laughs> a better outline than that one. But that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Now, if I, I mean, were four, it'd be a different story. That 
does not happen in today's world. Oh. I mean, the cell phone and the connectedness of children that are not even living under your roof anymore. Yeah. I, I have to say, I'm going to brag on my daughter because I feel like we have a healthy connection and communication and she doesn't, you know, call me for little tiny things that she's capable of doing. Um, but you know, it's hard in today's world. There's so many helicopter parents. I oh, mean, my kids, I probably would have been a helicopter, but I just have so many that, <laughs> you know, I would have crashed into my own helicopters, you know, so that just wasn't physically isn't possible for me. But, um, but I do, you know, that's a great reminder. So, which is a perfect segue because what I was going to say next is, you know, as a parent, and again, we're going to cover some other things. So if you don't have kids, um, maybe you have nieces, nephews, or you know someone who does have kids and you can tell them to listen to this, but just hang on for one more question and then we'll get to something else. But, um, but I feel like when they're young, we need to do a lot of things for them. We take them places. We teach them so many things. We're kind of their protector and then their coach. But once they get older, part of parenting is letting them go and shifting into that consultant role. How do you recommend someone navigating that transition, especially someone who hasn't has been a little bit, you know, holding the reins a little tighter but I know you are have an 18-year-old. And a 20-year-old. Which, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you've probably been practicing what you preach. So it's... But, well, but, doesn't but it's how do we... Either. Do you have any key phrases or, you know, tips for us as we're trying to transition to this coaching, to yeah. consultant, really, from coach to consultant? Well, yeah, and... The first word is always, well, you're too late. Now, here's what I mean by that. We're always too late because this starts literally, this starts roughly, I mean, roughly you're talking about in the second year of life. Okay, that's when that's when the kid is, you know, they've gotten their tummy filled up with love. Right, that's kind of the first. You don't play chess with a with an infant. You love them. You pick them up. You soothe them. You, you know, everything's coddling. But then, you've loved them enough to where they start to get mobile and they start to develop something called separateness. Now, separateness. They're going to be separate. They're going to toddlers going to wander out. Well, that means separateness equals responsibility. At the very earliest, little you know, they got to take their own steps and this, that, and the other. So when I say it's too late, we're always too late because these competencies are budding underneath the surface of the ground, and we have to we have to help nurture their growth. So it it starts it starts really really early, and what we're doing is the two things: back to love and limits. We're empathizing, we're supporting, and we're requiring we're requiring competency. Even when it doesn't yet exist, we're we're trying to build it. So, example, I remember when 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 um, you know our girls were were toddlers. What do they do? You know, they you say no, and they start to scream or they throw a fit or whatever. That's what toddlers do. And so, 
here's the example. I'd say, okay, Olivia, if you're going to scream, you're going to have to go sit in timeout. Okay, it's your choice. You have to go sit in timeout. And I'm going to set the little clock here. And um, when you can be quiet for two minutes, then you can get out. And then you hear the scream. I said, Olivia, I'm not going to talk to you if you're screaming. Use your words. I used to have this phrase, use your words. Use your words. And then as she, so what are you doing? You're, you're requiring them to do it yourself. Step into the next competency. Take charge. You can do this. So the transition is a transition in our head first. And I'm looking for what would, what would self-control and responsibility look like right now? Right now. And then start to require that. Now you can support them. You can empathize. You can resource. But you've got to transfer the need for the self-control and the behavior off of your shoulders onto their shoulders because they're the only ones that can do anything about it. I can't do that. I can't do your homework for you. I can support you. I can buy you a book. <laughs> I can. But the formula for raising great kids is what all the research shows. Two things, high warmth and high expectations. Which I would say transfers to, you know, any role. Everything. You know, I mean, whether it's a relationship, you know, family or in a leadership position. I mean, if people, if you set the guidelines and encourage them and believe in them, I feel like people are so much more productive and, you know, they care. That's right. And, And think about that. High warmth, high expectations. If you have high warmth and no expectations... You're going to get an addict or you're going to get somebody you're taking care of at, you know, whatever age. If you have high expectations and no warmth, you're going to crush your spirit or they're going to rebel. You've got to make sure that the love and limits are always present, always, always go together. One of probably about 20 percent of my work, most of it's with with CEOs and businesses, but about probably 20 percent is with the extreme like high net worth family and families and family entities and businesses, because one of the big, you know, the, the statistics are somebody, somebody makes the money by the fourth generation, it's gone. And the reason is they steward the financial capital with, the, with all the attention in the world, but they don't steward the human capital. And you've got to develop these generations, these kids becoming young adults, and develop the the all the things we're talking about here so they can not go backwards because f- face it whoever made it had to peck their way out of that egg and what happens is a lot of times if you know we eliminate re- the egg you eliminate the egg yeah. because because they're you know there's there's so much reality they can be shielded from that they don't develop the muscles. And you got to be very strategic when you have resources, especially about 
making sure you're building in responsibility and pecking out of the egg. Well, Very important. And I think this goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, a child and a parent transitioning to the consultant is as parents, we have to be okay with our kids failing. Oh gosh. And, and I mean, I do think that the difficult times in my life, whether it's been something that's come on to me, just that I had nothing to do with, you know, or it was something, you know, I participated in a failure or created difficult circumstances for myself. Those are the critical times in our lives when we learn about ourselves and, you know, we have to dig in. And, and I, I think what you were just saying is right there is whether you have means or don't have means, whether you're trying to carry on a third generation family business, which will be our case um, for my children is, you know, that's going to be a challenge for me is, you know, helping my kids find their way and make some mistakes and learn from them because that ultimately is going to be the root of their success or failures. I think. It's just true. I mean, I wish it weren't, but if you, you know, if you look at any bodybuilder, they they go in and they lift that weight, and what happens? Um, it's it's you know, the metaphor you hear. It's really tearing down muscle, you know, that strain, and and the and it gets to where you know you've done all. It's killing you, and then it rests for a day because it's got to rebuild. But it's the strain, and it's the tearing it down, and it's the it's the that's the pain of it. Well, the same thing is true in character, as mimics the physical world. That it is it's it's coming up against that limit, and that requirement from the parent or the boss for me to dig deep, and meet the expectation, and building that. And once once you've built it, then it serves them for life. There's a there's a verse in the New Testament that says, all discipline seems for the moment not to be joyful but sorrowful. And the word sorrowful there is a, a, a word that actually means, you know, angry, we hate it. But in the end, it produces the fruit of peaceful righteousness. In other words, calm and, you know, life works. And it's just it's just true about everything. We We've got... Uh, in our house, we've got a new we got a new puppy in COVID. We got a, a Doberman at ten weeks, and um, she's she's eight months now. We're having the time of her life, you know, as, as empty nest parents of a new Doberman. And we crate trained her because that's what you know. I'm really into dog training. I've had a bunch of German Shepherds, and I love it. And we've got some friends that just got a new puppy, and. They go, I, could, I, I can't put my dog in a crate. I, I can't. What they don't realize is, you know, they're going to yelp for the first couple of nights, but they love it. They absolutely love it. Our dog just, you know, it's her little, the equivalent of a man cave, right? She, and, and, but they're going to, they're going to cry and this, that, and there. The people are coddling dogs and putting, and they never have any limit. Our dog can go anywhere now. She goes to the mall. She goes to restaurants. She's well behaved. 
But it didn't mean she didn't scream in the beginning. Well, I think that it's like setting the boundaries is ultimately creating so much more freedom. That's right. For everyone. That Whether, is exactly right. I'm like, God, I need to go back and listen to this seven times because I need to be doing all these things in my life. Well, we all but, do. Um, but when you develop competency, that kid's life gets bigger. That's what that's what Lucy, my daughter, was saying. You know, because it was required to not give in to the fear and not give in to all this. Now her life is so much bigger. She's not housebound with fears. When we're reinforcing the fears and the irresponsibility, their world is going to get much smaller. Well, I mean, I can't thank you enough, Henry. I have five more questions, but sadly, our time is coming to an end. Um, we, we've talked a lot about boundaries, and it's so wonderful. You mentioned boundaries.me, but for those of you who aren't familiar with Henry's new platform, well, I say new, but I, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly when you started it, but it's, you know, it's newish. Um, <laughs> but you've gathered so much great insight together in one place, and I could, I feel like I could spend hours and hours on there. Can you tell us a little bit more about boundaries.me? Yeah, it's very easy to find. You just go to that website, www.boundaries.me, and just, um, you know, sign up. And there's about, uh, I'm adding them all the time, but there's about 80 courses on there now. Everything from parenting to business, you know, business leadership, anxiety, depression, dealing with difficult conversations. What do you do when you have an addict in your life, in your extended family, or um, what's the science of reaching goals? It's kind of a little bit of a life university that it's morphed into. And even some on, I think, preparing or recovering from divorce. Oh yeah, yeah. lots of relationships. It's kind of it's kind of like life, you know. I'm a I'm a clinical psychologist, um, so all the life stuff. But most of my work is with with uh, CEOs and businesses and family offices and things like that. And so it's kind of like 360 life. So go to boundaries boundaries dot me. I was I was also thinking probably a lot of your audience. Um, I wrote a book called Necessary Endings, and that's really a lot of some of the principles we've been talking about. But in a in it's personal, but mainly also in a business environment. It's a leadership book, and because because boundaries sometimes there are some relationships and some some other things that have to end. You got to set a limit, say we're done, you know, and that's a tough call for people to make. And it, it, the whole book's about how to figure out when is that really needed? When should you have hope and when you shouldn't have hope? When should you spend more time and energy and when should you pull the plug and the dynamics involved in that? I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that this past year has clearly been a time for everyone to reflect and think about their priorities and a lot of pruning. And as we, you know, are hopeful towards, you know, the future and things have been rescheduled and postponed. And, you know, as things open up when that time is right, I feel like we're going to all have to go through that process again because we haven't had to make the choices. Now the choices have been made for us. Like can't travel to that country. Can't do that. And we'll be to kind of 
evaluate and make those choices of what what did we cut out that needs to stay out? Well, it's like it's like the woman who wrote the um, the declutter book, you know, Marie Kondo. Yeah, and she yeah. The, isn't her method like you take everything out. Yes. And then you only bring back in what you really need. Well, we're kind of in a town like that. So yeah. much has been, you know, we had to jettison. And now, do I really need that meeting? Do I really need that? And we're going to, you know, it's spring cleaning. It's pruning yeah. time. Well, I um, can't thank you enough. I love this Einstein um quote saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I am so grateful personally that we got to have this conversation Mm. because I'm inspired to change some things that I'm doing. Well, we're all on step out of the insanity. (laughs) Um, But I really, for those of you listening, I hope that you enjoyed this time with Henry. Um, I, there were so many topics I wanted to cover, and you know, we just kind of got lost in a few of them. But I hope that y'all will check out not only his platform, boundaries.me, but he has so many podcasts, conversations, videos, and of course, his incredible books. And if you ever have a chance to meet him in person, you will not be disappointed. So I hope everyone makes a great day. And thank you again, Henry, for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. It's always good to see you and always good to be here at Blackberry. There's just, um, I mean, how can I gripe about this, right? Thank you for listening to the Blackberry Podcast. Continue following the journey wherever you subscribe. Thank you to our guests, interviewers, and audience. Dive into more stories, videos, photos, and podcast episodes on theblackberrymagazine.com. Make a great day.